China is buying up huge amounts of American farmland, and much of it is curiously close to key U.S. nuclear sites. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll tell you what I found during my reporting in Montana about communist China's aggressive ambitions in the United States. Follow the Sarah Carter Show wherever you get your podcasts. Old routines die hard, like those multiple cups of coffee and sugary energy drinks to stay alert. Well, I discovered a healthier way to get the sustained energy I need without all the caffeine and sugar. Super Beats Heart Chews. I just unwrap a chew or two in the morning and let Super Beats Heart Chews do the rest. I feel great about what I'm doing for my health. Join me in the new way to start your day with Super Beats Heart Chews. I challenge you to try it for 30 days and give them your feedback. No more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, and candy for a quick pick-me-up. I've been taking Super Beats Heart Chews for years, and it's an easy and convenient on-the-go boost to your overall health and energy. Make Super Beats Chews an essential part of your busy day. To make it easy to get started, I got you up to 45% off plus free shipping at danasbeats.com. Hurry, it's their best offer available anywhere. That's danasbeats.com for up to 45% off. danasbeats.com. Well, Joe, absolutely. The American public should trust what the FBI is doing. You know, what's funny is I think back the year and a half that I spent with the team looking at Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. There was no concern. There was no outrage on behalf of any Republican as we used search warrants, as we went out and did a very invasive investigation to try and get to the bottom of what she did or didn't do. So it's not that the FBI is targeting any one side or the other. What you see is the FBI going out on the day day out basis objectively investigating allegations of law so that is well yeah peter struck he was one half of the struck page duo that they were writing remember the text that they were writing about trying to overthrow a free and fair election and it was really juvenile and i was always mystified by the fact that they, they never cared at all that they were just being so brazen. They didn't care that they, were, that they were just so out there like that because they knew there was not going to be any accountability. They knew this, and they, they did it anyway because there is apparently no accountability. Welcome to the show. Dana Lash here with you. This Monday, as we are getting going on everything, a lot of stuff. Well, there's not a lot of updates. I want to be, I mean, there's, there's some things that we know and there's some things that we're still speculating on. But happy Monday to you. My goal today is to get you set up on what you can expect. I also am going to go over some election stuff and kind of give you a little bit lay of the land as to what we can see in the House and the Senate. I just really... I want, I really want people to realize that it's just, it's, the Senate is a lot dicier than you realize. And I, I, I don't say that to, you know, fear monger anybody, but I just, you know, I want people to be, you know, aware of it. I mean, I think it's important uh, because you don't want to go into something not knowing how close, in fact, it is. So first and foremost, the latest with this raid, there's a lot of discussion as to, who has the ability to classify and declare to declassify what? And I think this is something that's going to be ongoing as, you know, we get more and more details out because we still don't have that affidavit. And that affidavit is, is the thing that, I mean, you really do need it 
to determine probable cause to understand you know what it is that uh, it, that they're looking for or what the what their purpose was you know what is why did they do this like what were they hoping to find and so we don't have that affidavit so it's kind of you know we're still you know we're still kind of speculating on it but the new twist is that because trump said that he i mean because he was able to declassify documents and i think you have to we have to discover okay well then what when did it when was it classified when was it considered classified when we were talking to Andy mccarthy last week one of the things that that he had made a great point of over and that's something apparently we're going to be focusing on is that the law the statute as it's written is kind of written poorly it's it's written relatively poorly it seems so we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, as we get more details. Again, we don't even have that affidavit. It's just I can't believe this is dragging on and there's no transparency about this at all whatsoever. The fact that it's still going on to this extent. Now, um, some of the other things as well. We, we Last week, we talked about the flashbacks. I'm going to go into more detail here shortly about Barack Obama, how crazy that is. Uh, also, I wanted to bring this up. This is from a Red State wrote about this, but it's a report that came out that details some of the correspondence between reportedly Trump and Merrick Garland. Now, the, the, apparently, the, apparently Trump sent a private message to Garland prior to the Justice Department news conference that afternoon. Now, this is what the New York Times has reported. And I first saw it, like I said, over at Red State, later on in New York Times. The New York Times story, they said that in this piece that they ran, they said that Trump had messaged Garland, quote, the country is on fire. What can I do to reduce the heat? Now, that's the message that he had sent to be passed to Garland. Because nothing, I mean, I, I don't even know if they even found anything at that. I mean, apparently a bunch of stuff was already turned over at the beginning. I mean, I don't even know. It's like he's trying to some people were stunned over it. I mean, w- assuming that the New York Times might be writing a legitimate story. I mean, I think that's always a question. And I think the press bias and all of the ridiculousness with everything from the Alpha Bank to, you know, so much. I think that, you know, you wouldn't be judged harshly for wondering whether or not this story is even legitimate in the first place. And nobody would blame you. But, whoa, sounds like he, someone's trying to deescalate and it's not uh, Garland. I mean, it looks the way everything that's been reported, and this is the one thing that the media has done, everything that's been reported, it makes it seem like Trump bent over backwards to cooperate with everybody. I mean, I'm going by what what the New York Times originally had, CBS, uh, I mean, USA Today, a number of reports quoting him as stopping by the dining room, you know, whatever you guys need, I'm here to help. That seems like someone who's really working hard to cooperate, not try to block anything. Or hold, I mean, just none of their stories make sense. It's a political hit is why. Occam's razor. I mean, and that's, he was cooperating extensively. So if he's willingly cooperating and the DOJ decides to seek additional information, why then would they not issue a second subpoena? Because he had no problem with the first subpoena. I mean, these are, while these might be questions that seem obvious, maybe even rhetorical, I mean, I, I asked this last week, I mean, doesn't that, that seems like that's the, the, the way to go instead of this, instead of ratcheting up 
the division in the country by doing something like this instead of showcasing what looks to be an absolute double standard. So that's, you know, and, and if if he's going to go for something on the Presidential Records Act, which seems Margot Cleveland, who uh, works in, in the, the legal profession, because this was another New York Times piece. They said, brilliant tactical move by DOJ on selecting statutes for the search. None of the crimes cited require the documents to be classified. Any claim by Trump that he declassified documents is irrelevant. Interesting, right? Kane gives me the look. <sighs> yeah. See, then you you decide who you're going to go after. Britt Hume noticed this. You, you first select the target, you decide to search, then you pick the alleged crime. Yep. So Cleveland noted that, in fact, if, if she was reading this correctly, and this is what, you know, she had, this is what she saw later on, she was going through these statutes, she's like, well, uh, she says, the search warrant and schedules, she said, what was getting lost in, in what was taken and what was listed as susceptible to seizure and not the criminal provisions on which the warrant was based. She said she finally figured out why they were getting lost in the details of items taken as opposed to the to the to the provisions within the statutes. She says, what I see here is none of the three criminal statutes used to justify the search require to the materials to be classified. Yet both New York Times and Washington Post directed everyone to the idea of Trump keeping classified info and a list of what was taken highlighted that, too. And she said, look at the three statutes. So the Espionage Act is one of them. Now, we've talked about uh, the Espionage Act uh, quite a bit because that's what I think James Rosen was someone the Obama administration tried to go after because they did not like the information that he was writing uh, because the information that he was writing about uh, and it was not nothing was was private or confidential or anything like that. It was just how the United States was dealing with North Korea and some other Asian nations. And apparently it made the Obama administration look bad. And so to be vengeful, they decided to try to use this like very obscure and little ever in historical precedent used uh, uh, statute with the Espionage Act to try to go after. And that's what they did with AP reporters and everybody else who they didn't. They don't like your reporting. That's what they would do. So this is like a favorite of Obama Biden. So one of them, Cleveland notes, uh, is the Espionage Act. And she says the Espionage Act's plain language doesn't require material related to national defense to be classified Uh, and that's usc 18 usc 793 the second criminal provision also doesn't distinguish between classified and unclassified and that's 18 usc 2071 now that's the law that prohibits the removal of any record proceeding map book paper document or other thing filed or deposited with any clerk or officer of any court in the u.s or in any public office real sketchy right and the third one She adds, the third isn't concerned about Trump's possession of it, but the destruction of it. That's 18 U.S.C. 1519, the statute that prohibits the destruction of any record, document, tangible object with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence the investigation or proper administration of any matter within the jurisdiction of any department agency of the United States. So, three separate statutes, the classified top secret thing, that's a joke. And she adds, that's a red herring. So, that that search was... It, it was authorized not because Trump apparently had classified information or top secret information. He said he didn't because he disclassified. But under the statutes, it doesn't matter. So I'm going to stop there for a second. So that means 
him saying that he hasn't he's being honest when he's like i have no classified material He's like, I have no idea what they're doing. Because was that not what Democrats were first pushing? Was that not what the media was first pushing? They were first pushing, oh, he's got classified material, right? Remember all this? Oh, he's got classified material. That's what it is. He's got classified stuff. Uh, That's the issue. We got to go and get it. And so Cleveland says, whether classified or not, the second statute is, is seems to make Trump taking anything considered presidential papers from the white house classified or not the first statute makes national defense the issue whether declassified or not it could include even like pictures of trump by military equipment that would seem to reach personal as opposed to non-presidential papers so all the doj she adds has to has to show a judge is that trump kept presidential papers which would cover anything that was ever classified because those are government property and can go to archivist and she said there's a separate statute specifically related to classified material. So why wasn't that used? And that's 18 U.S.C. 1924. So another thing to think about, and we're going to come back to this, is if you've noticed the date, and I, I sent this out for all of you who get the, because when the warrant came out for all of you who get the newsletter, I, I, have the, I sent you out the warrant the moment it was uh, made public, and we talked about the Espionage Act and all of that stuff. The other thing that I that I noticed, too, is that it seems the date that was given. I mean, basically, anything that Trump ever had or ever had in his possession during his time, during his tenure, is apparently anything he ever saw, anything he ever created during his four years is that Garland demanded the seizure of any record. Because they give the dates January 20th, 20th, 2017 to January 20th, 2021. Super sketch. If you're like me, you're growing more and more concerned about the future. Inflation is at its highest level in 40 years. Interest rates are skyrocketing and market experts not only predict a recession, but they're using terms like, quote, economic hurricane and unprecedented. So if you want to protect your future, do what I did. Call the only precious metal dealers that I trust, American Hartford Gold. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. So get started with just one short phone call and they'll have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. Call right now and you'll receive up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. Don't wait. Call 866-887-1188. That's 866-887-1188 or text DANA to 9 Nine nine eight eight nine nine. Protect your future with American Hartford Gold. 866-887-1188 or text Dana to 998899. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick 5, brought to you by Caltech. This is the worst news I've heard all day. So apparently now the price of wine is going to surge 10% after wildfires and droughts scorched vineyards across Europe. Wine price surges are being predicted by direct wines and another wine thing. Uh, They said it comes as price of wine and spirits have already risen by 6% in the last year. Price of olive oil is expected to surge by as much as 25% this year alone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the CEO of Direct Wines and parent company Lathwaite's David Gates said a bottle of red or white from favorites like France, Italy, or Spain is only going to get more expensive if the heat and drought continue much longer. And they said it comes 
as all of this has risen by more than 6%. And of course, you know, inflation. So you have that to, to thank as well. This is the most infuriating story I've read over the weekend, and I'm not over it, and I'm mad. I'm still mad about it. This is in Norway. So the Associated Press reports that there was a walrus that whose name was Freya. And Freya was this big fat walrus and sometimes would get on people's boats and was actually just adorable. And she became a popular attraction. Oh, you notice the past tense? She became a popular attraction in Norway in recent weeks, despite warnings from officials that people should refrain from getting close and posing for pictures with her. She likes to clamber on the small boats and would sometimes damage them. You know what? That's just the she, that's her house you're in. So they decided to put her down. They killed her. Norway put her down. Now, walruses are protected. If a Norwegian would have done it, they would have gotten charged. But the government could do it because they said they hoped she would leave on her own accord. And so they decided because people are too stupid that she had to be punished and be killed. I am made of some really just exorbitantly politically incorrect responses to this. That's heinous. And so blank Norway. Uh, This, if you're a history fan, there's a lot of stuff apparently up for sale this week. There is the University Archives. They're auctioning off dozens of letters, documents, and other artifacts. And it takes place on August 17th in just a couple of days. It includes stuff from the founders and, of course, you know, trader Benedict Arnold and all kinds of stuff. Stick with us. we got a lot more in store. Never run out of coffee by joining the club with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company was built upon the mission to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. As a veteran-owned company, Black Rifle Coffee Company delivers on that promise by developing explosive roast pro Profiles with the same mission focus learned as members of the military, and they're committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement, and first responders. When you join the coffee club, you select your perfect roast, how much coffee you want, and how often you want it delivered, and it's all shipped right to your door for free. Not only do you save a trip to the store, but you also receive special discounted pricing. You gain access to exclusive products and partner brand discounts. Not sure what roast is best for you? Take the Black Rifle Coffee Quiz and get matched to the perfect coffee. Coffee roast and then join the club. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash Dana to save 20% off your purchase in your first coffee club order. That's 20% off with promo code Dana at blackriflecoffee.com slash Dana. Fuel your life with America's coffee. Black Rifle Coffee. Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Did it really have to be this bad? Well, I certainly don't think the withdrawal had to uh, 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 go as it did uh, and the loss of American lives during that withdrawal uh, and the degree to which it it took months and months and we continued to try to uh, help people uh, escape from Afghanistan, uh, I think could have been handled differently. Oh, you think so? Think so? That's Adam Schiff. He thought it could be handled differently or maybe you guys couldn't have botched it at all. Maybe you could have listened to what you were being told by the people who actually do this stuff. So what it, that's what, it's always these bureaucrats that make these shots. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Happy Monday. We're going into, I cannot believe we're this far into August already. Summer is winding down. It's almost the burr months. It's almost time for spooky season. It's a year ago. 13 service members killed in Kabul. They all got the Congressional Gold Medal. And one of the deadliest days for American forces in that 20-year-long war in Afghanistan. And it is just completely unnecessary that it had to happen in the first place. Entirely unnecessary. 
They were posthumously awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. There's, I, I, and it's just, and they're so young. All of them are so young. They had the, and the 13 of them, you had Marine Corps, Lance Corporal David, David Espinoza. You had Marine Corps Sergeant Nicole Gee, Marine Corps Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover. You had Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus, Marine Corps Corporal uh, Hunter Lopez. Uh, you also had Riley J. McCollum, uh, Dylan Marola, Kareem Nikui. You had Johanny Pichardo, Humberto Sanchez, Jared Schmitz. The also, I mean, 22, 21, 22, 23, uh, 20. Max Soviak, who was a Navy Hospital Corpsman. Uh, yeah, another Marine Corps, Dagan Page, 23. I mean, so young. So young. I think uh, Pichardo was 25. Unnecessary entirely. Uh, entirely unnecessary that they had, that they had to die. Because, but it was the insane way that this administration, they, the way that they botched the withdrawal. Now, I don't know if they've ever actually learned anything from this. There was a story that came out over the weekend. And I was pulling this up because there were these, there were reports, oh, there's no real plan to withdraw, to withdraw from Afghanistan. No real actual plan. That's what Republican Representative McCall said. He said, no, they didn't have a plan. Didn't sound like it. It sounded like he was told no. This is the horrible decision. And did it anyway. You know, also a year ago around this time, do you remember when the Biden administration gave the okay to drone some ISIS terrorists in Afghanistan and they killed a van of people, a family, 10 civilians, mostly kids? Seven children were killed, including a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old girl. And never any, no apology offered, nothing from the administration. But see, we were told by the left that it was going to be Biden that was going to get us into, or that Trump was going to get us in all these wars and everything else. And still, this administration, it bungles one thing after the other and, and then just kind of, you know, meanders over to the beach. And he's still on vacation. He's still on vacation right now. I wanted to share this tweet with you. It's a story that The Atlantic wrote. And it's one of the dumbest. They call it the right's new boogeyman. And the story is a defense of a terrorist group called Jane's Revenge. Which sounds like a horrible ripoff of Perry Farrell's band, but whatever. The Atlantic wrote, quote, a pro-abortion rights group called Jane's Revenge is claiming credit for acts of vandalism throughout the United States and right-wing activists and politicians are eating it up. Now, I have an issue with this headline, as you can imagine, because there's even more in this story there. I mean, there's there's it's just not a good story. They this is the media that pushed on January 6th, that a riot was a, quote, insurrection. 
the same media that insisted that a riot was an insurrection now claim firebombing and arson are just simple acts of vandalism. You know that group. No, not the band. Not the much better, actually talented band. It's a terror group. They won't talk about it. I mean, Vice even has a the rights freaking out about Jane's revenge. I think almost anybody would be uh, critical of a group that considered firebombing and arson repeatedly to be considered protected political expression to which reaction could be merely reduced to freaking out. The first thing that they that they claimed was a firebombing of a crisis pregnancy center in Madison, Wisconsin. And that took place uh, just in May. NBC 26, a group claimed credit for the Madison anti-abortion, anti-abortion, it's a pro-life office attack, warns of more, they threatened more. They firebombed the office. And then they threatened more violent attacks and destruction. They didn't care about loss of life. Of course they don't, whether it's in utero or out. They said that they were not going to stop until all of their demands were met. And you're like, well, what what are their demands? Oh, they believe they're one of those groups that think that abortion is totally fine as birth control. And they think it's... um, They think that it should be completely taxpayer funded. It's just wild. They wrote on, they vandalized, the one thing that they did vandalize, that they didn't, the one part that wasn't firebomb, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. They said that, they said that uh, the war is upon them. And they said that they're, that we will not stop. They had this stupid statement. And so they hadn't made, they didn't make any arrests because they were trying to figure out who it was. Firebombing and arson, they apparently, a number of uh, uh, crisis pregnancy centers, they also uh, firebombed uh, a a congressional office. How in the hell is that considered just vandalism? I mean, it's rhetorical. May 8th, the Wisconsin Family Action, that was the first. It was a firebombing. Then you had arson, 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 firebombing. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Colorado, June 25th. Our Life Choices was the crisis pregnancy center. That was arson. So they went after a birthright crisis pregnancy center in St. Paul. Now that one they just spray painted on. Imagine the pe- and they spray painted blood on your hands on the side of the building. Imagine the people who actually are are trying to protest for taxpayer-funded end-of-life on-demand as birth control and who are firebombing and burning down buildings. They're accusing everyone else of having blood on their hands. So now you can see why there might be some criticism of this Perry Farrell wannabe ripoff name and why people would be incredibly critical of an article that sets up actual acts of firebombing, actual acts of arson as pouncing or freaking out. I mean, at what point is vandalism just domestic terrorism? I mean, the FBI 
claimed that parents speaking out at school boards met the measure as defined apparently in their head as terrorism. They they described parents who spoke out at school boards as domestic terrorists and they tagged them as such in their ongoing investigations. That's that's what they tagged them as. So that was considered domestic terrorism, but firebombing a, a crisis pregnancy center is not considered domestic terrorism. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm curious. So I feel like, so the Atlantic now, are they giving actual domestic terrorism a pass? I mean, what's worse than arson? I mean, besides murder, but what's, what, I mean, arson. I mean, this is crazy. What about the attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh? No, no, no. Just vandalism. Just vandal, a little, some little vandalism. You know, like a mostly peaceful protest. I love how the story is, oh, the right-wing activists, they're just eating up these, these acts of violence. The story isn't about the violence itself. It's about the people on the right, quote, eating up acts of violence, but not about the violence itself. Remember when I said media were rat bastards and I got a lot of heat for that? I meant it. I meant every consonant, every delicious vowel of it because it's true. I mean, is there, it sounds, I mean, the article, can I just be real? The article reads like an endorsement of it. Yeah. Yeah. And crazy, the FBI is not paying attention to it. Isn't that weird? But how dare you disagree with firebombing a crisis pregnancy shelter that helps lower income and homeless pregnant women who want to raise their children? How dare you criticize the firebombing of that, you extremist in want of a boogeyman? How dare you? Firebombing is just like graffiti. You know, it's mostly peaceful vandalism. Yeah. That's all. It's like it painting is. a building. Yeah, yeah, only yeah. With so it's fire. Just, yeah. It's mostly, mostly, mostly peaceful It's vandalism. like the Republicans pounce or Republicans seize. It's a new way to say it. Um, it. It's just so dumb. It's like when you call out obvious law-breaking activity on the left, and then it's always Republicans seize on this law-breaking thing that's going on by the left. It's like, what? They don't report. It's not about the law-breaking on the left. It's about people's reaction to it. Yeah. This is just as a latest example in why media sucks so bad. This is why people like me have been critical of it for over 10 years because of this. Like go back to the ProPublica publishing everyone's tax info, all the rich people's tax info because they wanted to they wanted to to uh, feather up this little narrative of uh, jealousy to provoke people into supporting higher taxation. The story should have been on the fact that someone in a government agency, the IRS, Natch, someone in a government agency was leaking confidential information to a media outlet to sway public sentiment on higher taxation. And, in, and the people at ProPublica were like, well, golly, look at those people with the money they're making. Oh, my God. Let's write the story on this. Keystone journalists. Let's write the story on this. The, the, this fellers don't like this stuff, this. Let's go write the story on this. They didn't actually stop and question, holy crap, someone from the government gave us this information because they want us to, to emotionally manipulate the public 
with confidential information that they, A, shouldn't be leaking, and B, we shouldn't have. That's the story. How the government wants to emotionally manipulate people through illegal acts to support certain policies. No, they didn't do this. So now you can kind of see why we don't like the press. Because there's no such thing as a free press. These people are slaves to their political ideology. There's no such thing as a free press anymore. There hasn't been for a long time. We actually never had a press that started as a free press. It got started in mudslinging and political intrigue. But you just had some people that were actually devoted. Thankfully, there were enough good people at the time when virtue was a majority in in this country where they were able to at least pay attention to the wrongdoings of government more so than, you know, their political opponents. But now that's so that's just few and far between. It's just it's just a mess. As ransomware and other cyber attacks continue to sweep the nation, traditional antiviruses continue to fail as they cannot detect new malware and ransomware. And that's because they operate off a blacklist. And many of these antiviruses are made in the same foreign countries that the malware originates from. PCmatic is the only solution that is 100% made in America and uses proprietary whitelist technology to protect against all known and unknown cyber threats, including ransomware, malware, identity theft, and nation-state attacks. PCmatic protects homes and businesses of all sizes. PCmatic also makes your computers run faster by performing automated maintenance and system optimization. Protect your devices with an American-made cyber solution. PCmatic is just $50 for five devices for one entire year with a full 30-day money-back guarantee. Act now and receive $5 off your entire order of PCmatic protection by visiting PCmatic.com Dana. Again, to protect you and your family from ransomware, malware, and other cyber threats, visit PCmatic.com Dana. Shooting down woke culture, one crazy headline at a time. It's the Dana Show. Sign up for the newsletter over at Substack, chapter and verse. And I saw this new, another lovely new study, USC, UCLA. Masks are ineffective in stopping the spread of COVID. A new study. Hmm. Look at that. A group of USC and UCLA doctors wrote a letter to the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Now, here's the crazy thing. It was wrote, written in February, but it was only published um, now by LA Daily News. And they said that it's clear that there's no efficacy of the mask mandate. That is an actual sentence that they wrote. Yet you have a number of school districts, like in Philadelphia, for instance, that are demanding that, that students continue wearing masks that they continue wearing masks going back to school. Uh, Even despite the fact, doesn't matter if they've already had it. It doesn't matter if they've, you know, had their shots or boosters that are supposed to work. None of that matters. So what's the, this, this, what is the point? What is the point of any of this? If it doesn't work, it's just virtue signaling. And isn't, um, isn't, uh, what's his face? Yokovic. The U.S. Open row, he's been banned from competing. Hasn't he been banned from competing in the U.S. Open? Mm-hmm. And yet, you've had so many other people who were able to, I don't know, who were able to, I, it, like basketball gets exemptions, but apparently not for U.S. Open for some reason. It's I, I what I can't stand are empty actions that do nothing. I feel bad for any kid that's got to wear a mask on their face going back to school this year. We got more in store. Second hour on the way. More of the Dana show after this.
Old routines die hard, like those multiple cups of coffee and sugary energy drinks to stay alert. Well, I discovered a healthier way to get the sustained energy I need without all the caffeine and sugar. Super Beats Heart Chews. I just unwrap a chew or two in the morning and let Super Beats Heart Chews do the rest. I feel great about what I'm doing for my health. Join me in the new way to start your day with Super Beats Heart Chews. I challenge you to try it for 30 days and give them your feedback. No more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, and candy for a quick pick-me-up. I've been taking Super Beats Heart Chews for years, and it's an easy and convenient on-the-go boost to your overall health and energy. Make Super Beats Chews an essential part of your busy day. To make it easy to get started, I got you up to 45% off plus free shipping at danasbeats.com. Hurry, it's their best offer available anywhere. That's danasbeats.com for up to 45% off. danasbeats.com. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act, but the Congressional Budget Act uh, Office, which is nonpartisan, said that there would be a negligible impact on inflation this year and barely impact inflation at all. Uh, next year, I mean, isn't it almost Orwellian? How can you call it Inflation Reduction no. Act when the nonpartisan experts say it's not going to? So I appreciate that. Out? I appreciate the question. We've actually addressed this. The, the CBO. It was the top line number. There's more in there that shows uh, that it will have the money uh, from. Remember how we're doing this too. It's it's making sure that billionaires uh, in corporate this America are, paring, are paying their fair share. It's so this is and John Carl actually, you know, I, I give him credit. He asked Karine Jean-Pierre a pretty tough question. And they, I, and I'm, you know, I'm glad, he, glad he did. Her answer was just um, inconsequential. Really, it really was. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. And, you know, I was having a conversation about this just over the weekend. This idea that these people, and this is that minimum book tax, the idea that these people are you know they're oh, they're not paying their fair share you know they're not they're not doing any of this uh, that's you know you're you're looking you're talking about corporations that are taking money that they make and they're reinvesting it back into their companies so that they can grow and expand like for instance with us you know we're preparing to build a bigger studio bigger facility we're taking money that we earn and putting it back into growth. And already you're, you, you don't get a dollar for dollar back on what you spend on that. And what Biden wants to do is reduce that even more. Isn't that crazy? And they look at stuff like that and they go, you're not paying your fair share. Are you high? That's what I don't. I get enraged over this because these are people who have never they don't get it because they've never done it. How nice must it be to be like one of these like rich old farts up on, you know, if you want to talk about class warfare, let's talk about the class warfare, these rich old farts that have never, ever run a business. They've never had to be there before the sun came up. They never came home late. They've never, ever had to live paycheck to paycheck. They've never had to meet payroll. They've never had to worry about making sure that their employees got paid if that meant them going without a paycheck for months. They never had to do any of that. They have been suckling on the teat of privilege their whole lives. And these people have the audacity to think that because of their position that they can write these regulations for everybody else. Inflation has nothing to do with how much money someone has made. 
someone bringing in revenue for their business, for services offered or products made, those people are not driving inflation. No wealthy person is responsible for the inflationary period that we are all now in. What is responsible for that is how much of our money government has chosen to spend. The whole rescue, what is it? The American rescue plan wasn't a rescue. It's like somebody drowning and instead of giving a life raft, they're handed an anchor. An anchor. What did they think that was going to do? You, you're going to just throw out this much money and you're going to be shocked that now we're, oh my gosh, government spent, now we're, we're hitting an inflation and a recession? Seriously? And you're shocked about this. Everyone warned this guy this was going to happen and the party did it anyway. So you're telling the people who pay the exorbitant amount of tax anyway, and that's just from IRS data by itself. I love how these people act like this information isn't public, available for anyone who just has the motivation to go and look it up. That's why our media sucks. That's, yeah, this is why media sucks. Do you know how easy it is to find out exactly like what the top bracket pays? It is so damn easy, it's ridiculous. It's easier than buying a gun. And the top 1% actually pay the vast majority of the taxes. And of course, everybody has legal deductions and things. I mean, everybody has like legal deductions that they can take. Instead of bitching about how many deductions somebody has, maybe say, why don't we just eliminate this whole system in the first, why don't we just get rid of the IRS in the first place? Just do, just get rid of all of it. It should, it, if you're going to have it, have states manage it. Do like a graduated consumption tax. I'm not against fair tax. I just haven't been persuaded. Oh, I know what it is, and I've read it. I'm just not persuaded. I like a graduated consumption tax because everybody's forced to participate. And that's actually truly fair. That's what I support. It should be way, way, way simpler. But this, this, this way, it's, it's, this is going to be so bad. I'm already, we're already talking with our accountants. I, I, I feel like I should get to slap. I feel like I should have a special privilege. When you pay so much in tax, you should just be able to get a free slap of someone every year. You know what I mean? You get a pass on assault. I'm just saying, because when I hear people go, pay your fair share. I actually, I think I honestly pay more taxes than some of the people screaming that. Some of like the rich Democrats because of all the deductions and all. And they risk stuff. I can't risk anything because see, they're supercharged IRS. They'll come and audit me. Oh my gosh, we were talking to our accountants and we're just like, oh, we just got to, we're going to get, it's going to be so brutal. It's going to be brutal. And see the people who hate you because of your politics celebrate that because that's how petty this country is. I mean, I, it, it's just, it's so, people don't see people anymore. I wrote a whole book about it. Now, although at this point with my mood lately, I'm more apt to hit someone with grace cancel than actually, you know, go back and be like, I was so right then. You go through, I don't know, just the thing. But this, uh, this, this bill, it's not going to bring inflation down. Reducing spending will do it. But they're not, that's not something that they, uh, that they have on, that's not what, anything that they want. They do not, they think that they don't want to spend, I mean, audio soundbite night, let me pull up some of this because I want to get in some of the energy stuff too. Because this all has to do with it. This is Jennifer Granholm. This is our energy secretary, ladies and gentlemen. Our energy secretary who is saying this. Listen. When you're talking about, uh, you know, a tax credit on solar panels, electric vehicles, energy efficient appliances and windows, 
people who are spending money on those things aren't the ones who are living paycheck to paycheck and inflation is hitting the most. Uh, well, actually, no. I mean, people who are able to uh, qualify, for example, for weatherization, there was a massive increase, billions of dollars, for people who are low and moderate income to be able to weatherize their home and save money right away. Third, up to 30% of energy bills can be saved. That uh, was part of the bipartisan infrastructure law, which is one of the four pieces of legislation that I think have the biggest impact on lowering costs for people. Yes. Kane's dying over here. I can't believe it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. You just need to spend more money on your house. That's how, that's how that works. On, you know, on your home, weather stripping, you know, just spend it on the, you know, the wet. Isn't that similar to kind of to how Barack Obama was like, well, hey, if you want to save like gas money, wouldn't, wouldn't he talking about like your, the air in your tires? I remember that. I remember that. Just, you know, some weather stripping. If it's, you know, people spending more money. They're, they keep pushing this thing that Americans can't afford. More and more. The new IRS audit wave, Wall Street Journal, a CBO analysis belies the White House claim about new funding for federal tax collectors. This is a congressional budgetary office. Remember Mike Crapo? I talked about this last week. The senator had sought to, he wanted to bind Democrats to their promise to limit audits to high earners. Because see, the bill, and I read that portion of you, it said nothing in this bill is intended to. That's the bill. That's not an ironclad guarantee that you're not going to be audited if you're middle class. And so Mike Crapo, Senator Crapo, who was, was like, okay, let's, we need to really make sure that this happens. We need to have something ironclad. Let's make the White House honest. Let's actually make it difficult for, or make it impossible for this to be part of IRS's expansion plan. So he proposed the Crapo Amendment, very simple, and it was going to limit no, no audits for anybody who made $400,000 or less. And Democrats killed it. They would not allow it. And so the bill passed without it. And so the CBO made this point. Because they said, I mean, and if it's not, if, it, if their expansion plan wasn't about people who made less than $400,000 a year, as everybody from Corinne Jean-Pierre to Biden to Harris to everybody, why was it, why did they have such a hard time with making that crystal clear in the bill? And furthermore, why did they kill Crapo's amendment that would have ensured that? 51 to 50, they voted it down. So here's where it gets interesting. So Crapo was like, okay, so he went back to the Congressional Budgetary Office and he goes, can you calculate the effect, according to Wall Street Journal, that my amendment would have had on this bill? The agency found that the increased scrutiny on filers earning less than $400,000, get this, would account for $20 billion out of 10 years, out of a total of the 200 billion that Democrats want to collect through a bigger, badder IRS. That's the Wall Street Journal. The IRS expansion, as is written in the bill, as we have all been saying, is designed to do just that. They're going to get $20 billion from under 400,000. There you go. 
Now, one of the things that Wall Street Journal notes is the problem that for every tax cheat the IRS identifies, people like the Bidens, uh, several more compliant tax filers are subjected to unnecessary, needless scrutiny. They, and a lot of people, they get audited at random. And most people can't afford a lawyer to go to tax court or to contest IRS claims of tax liability. Our government makes it impossible. Impossible. They make it so hard on the average John Doe in America and Jane Doe. So people end up just paying them off. It's extortion is what it is. You have to pay a significant percentage of your income to the government to stay out of jail every year. And if you do what, even if you don't do anything, you could be just selected at random. And then the full bore of the government comes. They use your money to persecute you and they have an endless supply of your money that they use to persecute you so most people because after they've already paid this agency to come and persecute them they can't afford to write another check to hire a tax lawyer it's it's not cheap people and they can't afford it so they just write a, a, an additional check and most of the time these people are compliant, but they don't want to deal with the, it's more expensive to fight them and have a tax attorney than it is in many of these instances for people to just write a check. And the government knows it. That's why they do it. In any other profession, this would be illegal. It would be a RICO scheme. And this, it's completely sanctioned because the, by virtue of the government, a virtualist entity that appropriates it for the sake of of extorting more money out of you, using your money against you. I've talked a lot about the Keltec KSG shotgun over the years, and it's no secret how much I love it. It's become the go-to shotgun for law enforcement and home defense, and for a really good reason. Uh, but why am I such a huge fan of the Keltec KSG? Well, like everything that Keltec invents, it created an entirely new class of shotgun, and the one that started it all is the KSG shotgun. It's the first 12-gauge pump-action shotgun chambered for three-inch shells and with its dual tube mags, offers a capacity of 12 plus 1. So that's six rounds in each tube, plus one chambered. If you prefer two and three quarter inch shells, even better, because the KSG holds seven plus seven plus one. That's 15 shells. You cannot ignore the downward shell ejection either. It makes the KSG truly ambidextrous and ejects shells away from your face. It's brilliant design. See the Keltec KSG up close and personal at KeltecWeapons.com. That's K E L. TECweapons.com. Again, to find out more, visit KeltecWeapons.com. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Keltec. Y'all, I'm going to tell you about the toughest toddler you are ever going to audibly meet. This little girl, two years old, was playing in the back garden of her family's home in Bengal, Turkey. Neighbors heard her screaming. And they went and found her like a parent's worst nightmare. There was a snake clamped in her mouth. Now you might be like, wait, wait, clamped in her mouth? So this is what happened. The snake bit her lip, made her mad, and she bit the snake back and killed it. I am not making this up. So they, it's in the village of Kantar. And they dashed in to help the youngster, but found that she had this 20-inch snake it bit her and she bit it back. And she, so they took her to the hospital. I mean, she is adorable. She has huge brown eyes. 
Uh, and they, they called paramedics. They took her to the hospital. She's fine. Um, she was put under observation for 24 hours. And I mean, her, I mean, they could, she, they go, she, she literally bit it back. She got mad, threw a fit and bit it back. This is one tough chick. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just saying, you know, like, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. So did you guys see this crazy story over the weekend? It started trending on Twitter. Tijuana, Mexico, the U.S. consulate, the general in Tijuana, consulate general, instructed American government employees to shelter in place because of, so there were all, there was all this uh, cartel action in Baja, California. Vehicle fires, they were blocking the roads, blowing up vehicles, uh, setting vehicles on fire. So they told the public, avoid the area, seek secure shelter. If you're in the Baja, California area, you should monitor local media. I mean, there's a lot of video on social media. It was pretty crazy. Uh, A Texas police department, they're in a really small town. They, uh, They were, officer posted a photograph of himself posing with Kyle Rittenhouse. He goes, make those stops, you never know who you might meet. And everybody got mad and they were trying to cancel. It's the Thrall Police Department. You keep that photo up, Thrall PD, because y'all did nothing wrong. And neither did he. Uh, also, a raccoon stole a couple's DoorDash order off their porch. There's video of it. Dude, there's a reason why they look like burglars. I'm just saying. Stick with us. With the recent rulings from the Supreme Court, it's worth mentioning that these wins didn't happen on their own. It took the support of companies like Patriot Mobile, who have passionately fought on behalf of the unborn and your constitutional rights. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider, and they've been on the front lines fighting for your values. This is why Patriot Mobile is different from every other provider out there. Inflation has made it really hard on many Americans, and thankfully, Patriot Mobile has plans for almost any budget, and they offer the same nationwide coverage as all the major carriers. So you get the same great service, plus the knowledge that your money is going to a company fighting for the sanctity of life, religious freedom, and the Second Amendment. Visit PatriotMobile.com slash Dana or call 972-PATRIOT. Use offer code Dana to get free activation. If you're a veteran or first responder, please let them know because they have special discounts just for you. Come join the movement and make the switch. PatriotMobile.com slash Dana, PatriotMobile.com slash Dana, or call 972-PATRIOT. Your one-stop shop for the information you need to fight back. If you're going to have to learn stuff, you might as well enjoy it. The Dana Show. And you can count on us to eliminate the filibuster. Eliminate the filibuster. And let's get some stuff done for america mm. so that's john fetterman in pennsylvania welcome back to the program dana lash here with you we've been talking about japanese metal like the whole like all the whole time on break so you sometimes you hear the the product of what we were talking about on break in the bumper tracks welcome back dana lash that was john fetterman as i just said he's speaking on the campaign trail i he's he's was in the hospital i mean he had a i mean a a, a stroke and it seemed as though strokes are pretty serious. And I, I don't want to make light of things. I just don't like it when people lie to me or lie to you. And I want you to understand that you have every right to ask whether an elected official who had a major, you know, serious, I mean, enough to where they were hospitalized, you know, for a significant period. And with Fetterman, he was in the hospital for... Like what wasn't he like through the whole uh, beginning of the campaign and through a lot of the primary, correct? And so 
when it's that serious, you have every right to ask, wait a minute, how is this going to impact your ability to perform an elected office? It's not mean. It's not you're you're asking as a as a taxpayer, you're asking as a voter, because these are people who are going to make significant decisions on things that affect how much money you're going to bring into your home, how much the things that you purchase cost. You have every right to ask this. And I was looking at this. There's video of this everywhere. A lot of questions about John Fetterman's health. Pennsylvania is a weird Senate race because you have the Republican that I'm not a huge fan of. You know, at least he's not a Democrat, but I hate when that's the only thing that recommends a candidate. You know what I mean? Well, at least he's at least it's not Satan. You know, I mean, it's just like it seems like there's so much more that you would want to recommend him. Like you get what I'm saying. With Fetterman, the way that the campaign originally talked about how what his health was, anybody who was asking, well, is that the full story? They were accused by, you know, by some of his surrogates, I guess. I've seen it on Twitter, at least, that, you know, you're just being mean-spirited. It's just a minor stroke. It was called by atrial fibrillation. It's a minor stroke. And his wife had said there was a clot in his brain. They removed it via an incision in his groin. Which, by the way, can I just pause for one moment and just actual real science? God love you. Take a blood clot out of someone's brain through their groin. That's pretty amazing. Now, they, I mean, it, when, when they were talking about it, it sounded, I mean, I don't know. There was a lot of questions. Is it, was it like a thrombectomy? Like, what was this? And there was um, a, a, a blog called The Skeptical Cardiologist. And they were looking at just what the campaign had been saying about Fetterman. And the cardiologist who wrote, who authors that website, Anthony Pearson, said it doesn't make sense. When he was talking about his health. And this came from the Philadelphia Inquirer. It doesn't make sense. And he was like, look, I have no knowledge of his medical situation. But a defibrillator would never be implanted unless another patient has a condition besides AFib. And they were talking about what was done with Fetterman during his surgery. And apparently they were saying that that's something that, you know, by the campaign, that they were saying that that's what I guess he had done. That they and and it didn't make sense to these cardiologists who were writing about it, so they were wondering, well, how much heart trouble is he actually having? Because the, what this doctor said was uh, a defibrillator does not treat AFib, a condition that arises in the left atrium at the top of the heart. Instead, it shocks one of the heart's lower chambers, the ventricles that pump blood, and you install it when you're worrying about a, a patient maybe going into cardiac arrest again. So I don't know what the what the issue is it sounds a lot of people are speculating that there may be something more and he's lost a lot of weight and may i just this is what the problem is when campaigns are not honest with voters then voters are going to speculate and you can't blame them because they have every right to ask these questions and i i hate that we're at this point where it's like you're shamed if you ask it there's one thing about making fun of like when trump was walking down a ramp and it was wet and he had on dress shoes and then acting like he's he's impaired somehow being stupid like that is one thing but when you have like biden for instance when he can't string repeatedly when you compare his 
his speeches today from his speeches a few years ago. Oh my gosh, there's such a difference. Only the most petty partisan would, would deny it. You can absolutely ask legitimate questions about that. And that's not being mean-spirited. You're, at, you're wanting to know. And the same with this. I mean, this is wild. This clip where he was speaking, it's just weird. He does not, he doesn't seem entirely healthy yet. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, you don't want someone to get no, because the stress that comes with elected office, I just can't imagine that that's healthy for someone who's recovering from everything that he's, I mean, I don't know. But this is a very, it's a demanding job in the Senate. I mean, if he's recovered well enough to where he can handle the campaign and handle the seat, that's one thing. But his campaign stops in the video of this that we played that's going around. It has everybody, including a lot of Democrats, asking. And the worst thing that his campaign could do is to lie about it or refuse any kind of transparency. Don't you think that would actually make, I mean, regardless if it's a Republican or a Democrat, don't you think that would actually make voters maybe, it would endear them a little bit more to you if you, if you were honest about it? I don't know why politicians don't do this. I have no, I don't know why they don't do this. But if they get to a point where they have to make, have to have a replacement candidate from, I don't know. This is just why, right? This video is weird because I've seen him speak before. He's not a great speaker. But that was kind of weird, right? I just, I don't know. And that race is not one that we need to be messing with either and like risk, you know, having just go to chance. A lot of the midterm polling for Senate, let me pull this up. So this is what 538 is projecting. I'm not just looking at 538. I also have RCP. You know, I, there are a number of things that I have. But they're only 538 says they're only slightly favored to win the Senate. So that's that's what that's what they're arguing. When I'm looking at the Senate map for this, for uh, this is RCP. You have eight toss ups. Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, North Carolina, which is open, Nevada. Uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Ohio. I want to point out about something with Nevada. Nevada had been lean dim, and now it's toss-up. Adam Laxalt is in that race. Likely GOP is now Missouri. In the beginning, it was not. But now that they have Eric Schmidt, that seat's not one that Republicans are going to have to worry about at all. And they can focus on Georgia. They can focus on Arizona. They can focus on Pennsylvania. They can focus on some of these others. Now, in Nevada, you know, you have uh, it, it, it's uh, Masto and uh, Laxalt. Georgia, you have Raphael Warnock and and who's he's a dirty campaigner, by the way, and Herschel Walker in Georgia. And so far, Warnock, it's toss up, but RCP is leaning towards Warnock uh, and Kelly just in terms of uh, who might most likely going by the latest polling. It's not a guarantee, guys. You have to have 51 for majority. And you have eight toss-ups. And of all these toss-ups, you have half of them 
that so far Democrats have a, a bit of a lead. Nevada, I think, is the closest, honestly. I think Nevada's the closest. Georgia's pretty close, too. Pennsylvania is a weird one, though. I don't know what's going to I don't know what's going to happen here. He does not seem like and this is a uh, Candace. What's his face is Oz campaigning at all. If he is, I haven't really seen much. I've been, you know, I signed up for some of those notifications and I got yeah. a couple from his campaign, but I haven't seen him on TV. I haven't seen him with any, you know, any personalities whatsoever talking about his campaign. It's like he's playing Biden's playbook of just being in the basement. He has demanded five debates. I will say that. I mean, I he has demanded five debates and um i don't know if that that you know he really could if they did him early enough and if fetterman is really that much in trouble with recovery oz may not need to campaign he just may need to get him up there on stage and debate him that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a bad strategy i gotta be honest with you really wouldn't be so like i was saying it's it's not this is just not a done deal the house i'm not worried about i although you want a huge majority in the house but i mean in the senate so far it's being predicted that democrats have an 80 percent chance of holding between 47 and 53 seats i'm looking at sabato cook and 538 not a done deal you got to get your pieces in place and then you go so these um these and colorado's is leaning dim So this is troubling, not undoable, but it's something to to be concerned about and to watch. Now, here's an additional, and I'm going to add this for you, too. There was a new poll. This comes, by the way, of the Illinois. And it's a, I don't believe, you guys know how I feel about term limits, right? Everyone knows how I feel about term limits. I don't support term limits. The reason I don't support term limits is because that's the voter's job. You ought to read some of the Federalist papers on term limits. I used to be ambivalent, and then I read the Federalist Papers, and I was not ambivalent. And I reread them again, well, particularly Madison and uh, a few others, specific ones. What is it, like 52, 49, I'm trying to remember, where they are hitting uh, really whose responsibility, whose responsibility it is. It's the, it is the voter's responsibility. You do not want to give another one of your responsibilities to the government. And that's what, when you support, and I, I don't say this to be mean to people who support this, because there's a lot of conservatives who do, but you're advocating to give the government more authority. So that's why I don't support them. It's your, your that's our job. But there was a new poll that, that was released by a group that promotes them. And it's looking, it's in Illinois, and it's looking at a, a couple of different, a, a suburban district drawn to elect specifically a Democrat. And it's the 8th district and it contains Rosemont, Schamburg, Barrington, and Elgin. Back in 2020, Biden won the district by like 15 points. Pritzker won it by 8 points in 2018. They did a new survey and it was a pretty in-depth survey and it was heavily dim, obviously. But it showed Biden's approval rating is negative 12 this is what's supposed to be a safe Democrat district. In fact, this is a district that they like to pull whenever they want to go, oh, I like, or this area, rather. They go to, they'll go to, like, suburban, they'll go to blue states and go to, like, some suburbs, and, oh, they'll get the suburban vote. 
Uh, this is was supposed to be a safe Democrat district. 43% of respondents approved the job of the president. 55% oppose. Now, that's under the national average, but this isn't a solid blue dim district in Illinois. 2% unsure. That's a huge problem. Remember, we've been saying that they're having, having issues with Democrats in the suburbs, with Biden particularly. This is going to make it worse with this new tax bill. China is buying up huge amounts of American farmland, and much of it is curiously close to key U.S. nuclear sites. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll tell you what I found during my reporting in Montana about communist China's aggressive ambitions in the United States and how the world is still giving it a pass on COVID. I'll also share the latest heartbreaking story about how the people flooding our borders are being exploited by cartels and our own government. Join me, follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. <laughs> it's time for Florida Man. All I'm going to say is when I was looking at this lady's mugshot, I'm all like, I am okay if you, know, you do, because a lot of people have to do the fake lashes for TV and all that. But if you're just like out and about in real life, you don't need to be gluing those spider legs to your eyes like that. Like, have them be realistic in length. You know what I mean? So that's all the only thing that I had to add to this story. This story has to do with Chloe Rainick, 23-year-old North Carolina resident. Now, she goes to Fort Lauderdale to start some problems. She was accused of drugging a Fort Lauderdale man and stealing over $50,000 worth of cash and other items. She split and was arrested in Nevada last week. Now, according to NBC Miami, she was driving with a suspended license. She also got an additional charge of grand theft for the robbery in Fort Lauderdale on June 10th. She said Bobby Scully told NBC Miami he was just trying to have a good time. He went out partying. He met this woman and she robbed him, took his Rolex, his iPhone, his wallet, Did she have those lashes on when you met her? Because I could have told you this, dude. I could have warned you all this stuff. You know, could have saved you a lot of problems. A lot of problems indeed. So she's she's totally in jail. Uh, Well, pending trial. I have to get to this story. This is a Florida teacher who was accused of biting kids over jars of condiments. She's... This is an older story, but I, I have not seen this. This is in Bartow? And it was a teacher uh, who they were she she got aggravated at two students who had taken a jar from her. Uh, they at first the students thought she was playing around uh, and she but she had bitten them on the forearm because they were, I guess, trying to play keep away. Uh, one of the students is 15. Bites a 15 year old student. So she was she was in trouble. She was placed on paid administrative leave. That's kind of. I mean, we're having problems like all right now, right? Uh, Let's see. This Florida woman, this is in Clearwater. She stole tips from an ice cream shop and hit the owner on the head with the tip jar. Indian Rocks Beach, WFLA. Pinellas County Sheriff got Michelle Hagg, 55, at the Tropical Ice Cream. She was cursing workers and flipping them off. They took her into custody. Felony battery, petty theft, disorderly conduct. She's in jail. Stick with us. Third hour on the way. I remember the FBI at Merrick Garland's direction being sicked on parents going to school board meetings. 
Meanwhile, when you have a law that protects Supreme Court justices, is the FBI out there protecting our conservative justices? No. When you have violations of law where people are targeting cr pregnancy crisis centers, are they doing their job and enforcing the law there? No. They're enforcing the law based on who they like and who they don't like. That is not a republic. Well, it may be. It's a banana republic. Hmm. He's not wrong on that. That's Florida Governor Daddy Liberty, Ron DeSantis, uh, who is speaking out and has been over that raid, which we're still, we've been discussing and we're still waiting to see how many times the government can change their justification for this. There's some, I mean, it's some pretty, some pretty wild stuff. Welcome back to the show. Third hour of our program this Monday. Dana Lash here with you. Sign up for the newsletter chapter and verse because I've been covering everything as it breaks and sending it all out to you. This, uh, I mean, uh, I saw this that was shared over on Trump's True Social. And this was about a half hour ago. He says, in the raid by the FBI of Mar-a-Lago, they stole my three passports, one expired, along with everything else. This is an assault on a political opponent at a level never seen before in our country, third world. They took his passports? That, that sounds weird. Yeah, that's a little odd. Why? Why would they need to take that? I mean, it's, it's, you know, we got some, why? Why would they, why would they need to, why would they need to take his passports? I think we all have that question. This uh, story, and I was looking at this piece from Mike Davis that he has up at Newsweek. And Mike Davis, as you know, he's the former chief counsel for nominations uh, to, well, he when Chuck Rassler was the Senate Judiciary Chairman, and he's clerked for Gorsuch. He wrote this. It's a good piece over at Newsweek, and it says Garland and Ray must be impeached for unconscionable Trump raid. And he talks, he opens it up discussing Democrats wailing about existential threats to democracy. Curiously, this happened while these same Democrats in Congress have worked hand in glove with their fellow Democrats in the DOJ to disregard all norms, to hunt down and attempt to destroy Biden's chief political rival, Trump, as well as Trump's top aides and even his political supporters. He says all presidents take mementos and other records when they leave office. They don't pack their own boxes. The National Archives takes the position that almost everything is a presidential record, and the federal government in general overclassifies almost everything. He says even if Trump took classified records, it isn't a crime. The president has the inherent constitutional power to declassify any record he wants, any manner he wants, regardless of any otherwise pertinent statute or regulation that applies to everyone else. And that's part of his statutory authority. He says the president does not need to obtain Congress's or a bureaucrat's permission or even jump through the regulatory or statutory hoops to declassify anything. The, re the Supreme Court reaffirmed this in the 1988 case, the Department of the Navy versus Egan. They say the president is the commander in chief of the Army and Navy of the United States, has authority to classify and control access to information. And he gets into all the classification. He noted that Obama back in 2012 had secretly told the Russian president he'd have more flexibility to negotiate after 2012, after the election. 
He goes, to say that message is to clan, to convey that message is to transmit highly classified information. So why not an Espionage Act violation? Because the president was, Obama was the president, period. All former presidents get a federally funded office. It's the office of the former president. They get lawyers and other staff and security clearances. They get secure, they get secure facilities for the maintenance of classified records. He goes, even if Trump had them, they were protected and secure. He goes, at best, it amounts to a dispute over the Presidential Records Act. If the boxes sought by the DOJ contain the presidential records, then the National Archive owns them, but they'll almost certainly stay with Trump in his evidential presidential library. And side note, so I have on my right, and we talked about this last week, this is what every president has has argued with the National Archives over this. This is one of the things that Obama has been going back and forth with with national archives in fact daily beast wrote a piece back in march of 2019 quote barack obama's presidential library is making a mockery of transparency and in this piece they actually hit him for the the digital the records uh that they said that were supposed to be digitized and sent to national archives they said that it complicates, it's the, it has been complicating his woes, the awful piecemeal and incomplete rollout of the plan by the foundation in the National Archives and Records Administration, uh, preserving and making presidential records to handle Obama's, blah, blah, blah. And it gets into how they've kind of gone back and forth. A number of presidents have done this. This is completely not limited to one or, you know, even a handful. I mean, almost every one of them has had some dispute or, or another. But the way that it's being classified. And Mike Davis notes this. It's a great piece. He said that this is not any crime because the Presidential Records Act is not a criminal statute, let alone one requiring a 30-person FBI brigade and an unprecedented raid of a former president's home and office. He said it is routine, this ongoing negotiation. That's what Trump has been doing. He said the archives could also have alerted Congress. The Biden Justice Department could have filed a civil suit. They could have sought more subpoenas. And instead, they went nuclear with an unprecedented, Davis writes, unnecessary and unlawful home raid, even knowing that Trump had already been, been had that these secured records at Mar-a-Lago for 18 months. He writes, to put this in perspective, former President Bill Clinton, and this is true, I remember all the headlines when this happened. He stole more than $190,000. They stole China. They stole rugs flatware they stole flatware from the white house sofas other personal gifts they finally caved to public pressure and and paid eighty six thousand dollars for them there was no fbi raid even though they were valued at more than one hundred ninety thousand. then you had clinton she set up an illegal home server had classified records on an illegal home server. She admitted to stealing and destroying records herself, Davis writes. There was no raid. The FBI never, well, they never formally questioned her. They did her aides, and her aides lied to them, and there was never any action for that. And by the way, the reason why Hillary Clinton, why that, she's never president. She can't declassify anything. Then <sighs> he adds, Davis adds, how the Biden Justice Department, we discussed this last week, they got the raid warrant from U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt of West Palm Beach. He recused himself of a civil suit back in June between Clinton and Trump. And Reinhardt, which I think this is stupid, Davis notes, blasted Trump's integrity on Facebook, writing, quote, doesn't Donald Trump doesn't have the moral stature to kiss John Lewis's feet. 
He adds, so what changed over the last two months to make Reinhardt's clear judicial bias somehow go away? I, I ask this of Alan Dershowitz. Dershowitz at first had said, this was last week. He had said, you can't get mad. You know, judges just kind of throw these out. That's true. And I, and I brought up the point, well, then why did he recuse himself from this civil suit between Trump and Clinton? But he did not recuse himself from this particular case. And Dershowitz goes, well, that's very interesting. I, I don't know. Now, Ray, when he remember when he testified and Davis made mention of this, that the FBI was too busy to monitor the threats outside of the Supreme Court justices homes. Remember this? And then they and then thankfully an attempted assassin was arrested. Apparently, they also missed the Iranian Revolutionary Guard guy who apparently I mean, this guy apparently had associations with the, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, the guy who tried to stab and who stabbed and tried to kill Salman Rushdie. He's been in here for how long? Did, the, did they not know this? Were they too busy looking at parents at school board meetings and raiding Trump's wife's closet to pay attention to the guy who got in and had all these like out in the open contacts with the Iranian guard and, uh, and was able to stab a guy and almost kill him? This is insane. Now, one of the things that may happen when Republicans take over the House is they would have the power because, because the, the House controls the impeachment and the Senate carries it out. The House could impeach Garland and Ray. They could absolutely get that. One of the things that you have to consider when you're going to vote, I just think it would be nice to have the impeachment of, of Merrick Garland and uh, Ray, FBI director, with a Republican House, a Republican Senate with Biden as president his last couple of years and have that play out that could be part of his legacy that's what i would like to see now one of the other things i want to make sure we mention here i talked about this earlier and i want to come back to it i do think it's a good point and i do think we are i agree with it that we're spending too much time looking at whether or not what materials were taken and whether or not those materials were classified or not there was a piece in the New York Times where they were discussing how brilliant of a move it was by the DOJ on selecting the statutes used, for the, used to justify the search. None of the crimes cited require the documents to be classified. So any claim that Trump makes where he declassified documents is irrelevant. Now, Margot Cleveland from The Federalist looked at each of the statutes because they were also looking under espionage, the Espionage Act, which is insane to me. The warrant is really odd. They say any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th, 2021. So in this document, this is covering literally every single thing that was given to Trump by our government during his time as president. Now, my question is, doesn't his classifications, his statutory authority to declassify also take place between that period, right? Trump says that, not, that so that's, that's, you know, it's interesting. 
even though the classification doesn't have that's not a statute they're trying to say oh well espionage act or uh they have like three different statutes that they're looking at it's just a fishing expedition now mccarthy when i talked to andy mccarthy last week he noted that the declassification thing is a part of the law that's fairly vague the espionage act we've talked about that too the espionage act is like i don't think it's ever been used this is just weird this whole thing is 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 odd, but it looks like they tried to set it up to where they give themselves such a wide berth so they can switch between maybe it's classified, maybe it's not. Last week, remember, it was all nuclear stuff. That's what the press and Democrats were pushing. They The Espionage Act, as Cleveland notes, the language is plain and it does not require material related to national defense to be classified. So what is what are they what are they going after? What do they want? This is so stupid. It's not a crime. There's no, where are the, where's the crime? This is like the Russian collusion hoax all over again. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. So a, <laughs> um, this is now Florida. A man was arrested uh, for, and this is in Pennsylvania, for stealing only Axe body spray. That's the headline. I've got to tell you, he's got a bleached mullet on purpose. Not ironic. On June, or sorry, July 21st, this just, I, his name's Anthony Cancel. Of course it is. He was spotted on surveillance cameras walking down the hygiene aisle of a Weiss Markets store. And he was a former employee. He stole five cans of Axe body spray. He tried to conceal the products in a bag while leaving the store. They were able able to quickly apprehend him uh, under charge of retail theft. He has two prior convictions and now makes his current charge of retail theft a felony. Of all the things to steal, Axe body spray. Uh, Vitamin D supplements, according to a new study, can help treat depression. They can help reduce the depressive symptoms in adults. It was a meta-analysis. Uh, from a dozen studies around the world, 41 studies investigated the efficacy of vitamin D in combating depression in adults and during randomized placebo-controlled trials in different populations. And they, the studies involved with patients dealing with depression, people from the gen pop and those with various physical conditions, they said it reduced their symptoms. And obviously, Wall Street Journal says what you eat can also affect your mental health. Duh, we all know this. Coming up, Stephen Yates. we got a lot to discuss with him. Stick with us. Want a behind-the-scenes look at The Dana Show? Subscribe to Dana's chapter and verse newsletter for a deeper dive in all things Dana at danalash.com. How can they vote against the planet? Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time, and uh, this legislation will help us address all of that. I don't know what that what that is even supposed to mean. It's always it's a little weird. That was Nancy Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker. It seemed appropriate to play Taiwanese folk metal underneath her yeah. uh, as she spoke. It just you know it's apropos. Welcome back to the program, Dana Lash here with you. Joining us now, one of our favorite people, Stephen Yates. Steve Yates, as you know, you can find him on Twitter at Yates at Yates Coms. I almost said DC Coms at Yates Coms, and uh, he is also. Uh, this is his wheelhouse. He served in the Bush administration. He advised former VP Dick Cheney on all this stuff. And uh, he's very much a conservative with America First Policy Institute and chair of China Policy Initiative. OK, so, Steve, always, as always, good to see you. I am reading that Taiwanese officials 
are a little upset now upon learning about because she took her son with her. And I, I understand that it's not unusual for people to take maybe a buddy with them. If they don't take a spouse, they might take someone with them. I understand that. However, this is a little different. And it kind of undercuts this strong, I'm going to be there for Taiwan image that she was projecting when she brings the second largest investor in a Chinese tech company with her, who happens to be her son. And now it's coming out that the Taiwanese officials are none too pleased about this. That seems like that's some damage. Yeah, well, you would think uh, if only there had been a national news story about <laughs> the offspring of a high profile political leader who had engaged in questionable businesses, then if only then, uh, Pelosi and other leaders of Congress would have had increased sensitivity mm-hmm. about who they bring along and what those follow-on conversations might be and what the appearance of all of that would be. But the shame of it all is that, of course, the, the New York Post was censored uh, before the election. And so, of course, no one knows anything about this kind of a risk. Uh, so all that sarcasm aside, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real shame that this is even a story for the sake of the Taiwan people who just want uh, some breathing space from an overbearing threat, yes. uh, a little bit of help from Uncle Sam, not necessarily to do things for them, but to help them do things for themselves and maybe help work with Japan so that maybe they don't have to stand alone or rely only on Uncle Sam in these circumstances. There's so much work to do and no one really needed any help to do it. Uh, and uh, the speaker had other members of her delegation coming along. Uh, so I mean, you're, you're correct that it's actually very common for members of Congress to bring a member of their family with them. Uh, you, you just think that there might be a rudimentary look at which member of the family might make some sense this time. Or what if I just get by with my policy advisors for you know what is supposed to be right. a government policy trip? So uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch about it that has a a bad whiff. Uh, I don't know what this uh, young man is up to. Everyone looks younger to me with every passing day. Uh, but I mean, he's 53. Uh, he's like he's like Hunter Biden's age. But I don't know, Joe Biden, they, the way they talk about Hunter, he's like he's baby Hunter. So this is like baby Paul Jr. Away, you know, baby little infant Paul Jr. Exactly. So I mean, there's there's just no good way around it. But the real shame is uh, that leaders in Taiwan. Uh, in their system, they've got to go before their legislature and take questions. You know, sort of, it, it's a hybrid between a presidential and a parliamentary process. And so, a foreign minister and other people, a prime minister, they have to go before the legislature and take pot shots about, well, what happened and why was this person there? And all they wanted to say is, look, hey, we we've got some support from the United States Congress at a time of need, mm-hmm. and this is just an unnecessary pollution of what would have been a noble message. I mean, my jaw, we're talking with Steve Yates, my jaw dropped because I remember, you know, when she went in, they had buildings that said, welcome Speaker Pelosi in lights, in the buildings. She had, I mean, you would have thought, you know, that it was, I I, I mean, you, what, like, 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 what is it, BTS? Is that what they, one of the big bands, like one of the big boy bands out of, you know, like South Korea or something, or a J-pop band, something, you know, you would have thought it would have, you know, like, like Blackpink or something, when she goes into Taiwan, and there's like a herd of people there to meet her, they have signs, they're cheering her, and she's, you know, waving, and 
they're so excited and then she brings the second biggest investor and it's oh my gosh and then i was reading several not just one but actually a whole bunch of their politicians including the former chair of the island's financial supervisory uh supervisory commission uh, Sang Ming Chung demanded to know whether or not the island's ruling Democratic Progressive Party had a financial relationship with their family and whether her visit involved that. So we went from stand against China to wait a minute. Did you just bring your corruption uh, like a, to a whole another level here? I'm she doesn't have apparently the wherewithal to be embarrassed. I mean, my jaw, I legitimately my jaw dropped. Well, this essentially was bringing a pile of something in a brown paper bag, lighting it on fire and flying home and leaving it for the government there to put out the flames. Uh, And that's what happens for uh, the democratically elected leadership in Taiwan. I mean, they they don't want to say anything negative about uh, the speaker or her visit or the United States. I mean, they they have no margin for error. They need all all parties in the United States, all friends from the United States to try to stand on one side against an overwhelming enemy that they face from Taiwan. Uh, And yet uh, here's this uninvited complication. And yes, people in their political opposition are going to seize upon this. I th- isn't that with a word that we use Pounce. in American journalism these days? Of mm. Someone is going to seize upon these kinds of things? Or- pounce, freak out over. That's the <laughs> pounce, other thing. Pounce was what I was looking for. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just, it just mars what could have been, a, and it complicates the, her, the legacy that she wanted to leave, I think. I mean, Absolutely. she can't be too pleased about this, but it was her dumb decision to take her son uh, to go and do this in the first place. I want to switch gears to get into this story. The guy who had stabbed Salman Rushdie, we're talking with Steve Yates. Uh, the guy who stabbed Sal- Salman Rushdie, it's been reported that he has, you know, surprise, surprise, a number of connections to the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps. And he had been here apparently for quite some time. He was described as as being a Shiite extremist who looks like he had contact with this terrorist organization. But I guess everybody was too busy paying attention to what was in Melania Trump's closet and watching parents at school board meetings to see this guy. Yeah, no, there's a there's a homeland security angle to this that is a little bit jaw dropping. But it's also a massive sobriety checkpoint for an administration that came in breathlessly seeking to revive terms of a deal with a theocratic regime that seems to have among the most active assassination lists of any government on the planet right now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a number of Americans that are on that hit list. Uh, John Bolton is one of them, I think. Most Americans had paid any attention to John Bolton since he tried to sell his book, but apparently <laughs> they were still trying to kill the guy. Uh, and look at his uh, book sales, guys! It's not worth it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know, it, but it's it's a really important thing to remember that as Americans get lost in our own sort of pig pen slugfest that there's real murderous, dangerous people out there. And we can't be making nuclear deals with them and giving them more pallets full of cash. Mm. We can't ignore these things because uh, we need allies to be able to stand up and contain these kinds of governments. Uh, you know, the, uh, the our allies in the Gulf, as imperfect as they may be, are the best bulwark to keep this kind of threat coming to our shores in the first place. But again, you can't have an open borders policy. You can't have a permissive refugee policy uh, and not have 
some kind of a problem like this pop up in our own country. Now, the Rusty thing was not here, but it's the same lesson for the supposed postmodern world that thinks of, you know, one world, one government, no borders, all this other stuff. Mm. Uh, and it sort of does remind you that maybe we won't live long enough for this one degree of climate change if assassins from the theocrats of Iran can go out there and pop off anytime they like. Yeah, that's a very good point. We're talking with Steve Yates. Last last thing I need to ask you, obviously the raid that took place since the last time that we spoke and this, it seems the the cert, I was looking at the, the some of the details of the warrant. Uh, of course, you know, you can't really get too much into it. You can't understand probable cause, et cetera, without the affidavit, but in reading it, it seemed really like a very wide berth. Any records pertaining to Donald Trump's entire four years, you know, from 2017 to 2020. And it, it in the beginning, it seemed like they were focused on him potentially having classified documents. Well, according to the statutes that they're apparently exploring through Merrick Garland, it doesn't really matter. That's kind of irrelevant. It just looks like they're trying to get him on something. You've worked in previous administrations. You have extensive knowledge of this. How bizarre was this? Secondly, apparently they took his passports, too. That sounds unusual to me. And last, I thought, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, aren't there a number of presidents that have had, not not issues, but maybe little friendly squabbles with National Archives because archives want everything and the presidents are trying to put it in their, their presidential museums? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a ton in this to unpack, but... I would begin with the simple observation that my galaxy brain can't get it past the first point that the only thing we know is that we don't know the truth at this point. Everything else is academic. None of this really makes good sense. If an administration was serious about not appearing overly political, they did just about the worst possible job of that. Uh, And as someone who was cleared for a lot of the most sensitive materials, those kinds of things don't exactly have a long shelf life. Uh, For instance, when I left the White House, if someone had taken the drawers of the safe that I left behind in the office, but they somehow got that information, what they were most likely to discover is that the U.S. government employs way too many PhDs who write very lengthy analytical pieces that get fancy words stamped on the top of it, but would not lead them to anything operationally useful whatsoever. And even if the president had some kind of a cheat sheet about how to launch nuclear weapons. You know, we're often told that we should change our passwords every once in a while. Do you really think that anyone can walk away with that kind of information and 18 months later, any of that will work? Go ahead and give it a try. Give it a try. See what happens. Uh, And if it doesn't result in an immediate visit by a SWAT team, then something has failed in the system. Yeah. But it's, you know, the, all none of this makes any possible sense to me. Uh, you know, I, I go back to, you know, sort of my wheelhouse of U.S.-China relations. Henry Kissinger did a lot of secret negotiation. Yeah. He and a lot of his staff took notes on what they were doing under this very expansive sort of documentary jihad that the, the pencil pit pushers are after. All those notes would have been covered by this. Yeah. And yet he walked away with a lot of notes that was after years of legal wrangling. He, he finally turned those things over. But there were no raids. There was no arrest. Uh, and arguably that had to do with the most important geostrategic bargains 
that uh, that Kissinger really without congressional oversight or even collaboration with the State Department was engaging in. That would have been very valuable during the Cold War. So again, if we were to take the premises seriously, none of this makes any sense. Hmm. Now, can I say what their motive was? I don't read minds, but I think your audience probably can reach a conclusion that I consider probably to be on track. Yeah. Uh, definitely, we're like minds. That's interesting, though, about the Kissinger. They never rated Kissinger, and well, there was always Sandy Berger putting things in his socks and other parts <laughs> of outer garments. And, Nobody will you know, see me do this, surely. Like go after him. I oh man, I remember that story too. And didn't Bill Clinton, from what I understand, what I've read, he lost nuclear codes like twice, I think. Like one of them, one of the codes was in his suit, and you know, no big. Well, I'm just amazed. We are governed by Homer Simpson. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Steve Yates at Yates Comms on Twitter. Always so good to talk with you, my friend. Thank you so much for your generosity with your time. We appreciate it. Good to see you. Thank you, Dana. Mm -hmm. Take care. Take care. That's very interesting. And I like it. It is ran by Homer. Listen to The Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We know that we really are quite behind in terms of maximizing our collective understanding about how we will engage on the technology of today and what we can quickly and easily predict will be the technology over the next decades. So to maintain our position as the United States of America on this issue, it is critical that we work together to understand where we are, to recognize and have the courage to speak truth about what is obsolete, and then to partner to ensure that we are speaking the same language with the same motivation, inspired by the opportunity of it all, but then doing the work of updating how we have been talking and thinking about our exploration. What in, what in the Kamala word salad hell did I just hear? What? That was, that was impressive. I mean, at some point, you like make, you know, you bring it together and you make a point. Yeah. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Make sure you sign up over at Chapter and Verse, the newsletter. I have some stuff to send out to you specifically about that $20 billion that they're looking to get out of middle class because of the new. 87,000 agents they're hiring. And you can also see all of our past discussions, including the one that we just had with Steve Yates on YouTube or Facebook. Like and subscribe. Official Dana Lash there. Now, we still, I think the biggest thing is we know what we know and we know what we don't as it relates to that insane raid. And we'll keep bringing you whatever developments come out. I'll be on Jesse Waters' program on Fox this evening in the 7 p.m. Eastern hour. Today in Stupidity, came. All right. It's our Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm. This is what she says in regards to how does the Inflation Reduction Act help people now? Oh, I, this, this, first of all, immediately, um, people will be able to lower the fuel costs in what? their home. Oh. There's a 30% tax credit that what you can claim in 2022 for installing energy efficient oh. windows heat pumps so what you have to do is spend money in order to save money and that's our energy secretary i'm so amazed stupid. at the tone deafness of this amazed 
folks, that does it for us this Monday. Starting your week off right, catch me on Jesse Waters' program, 7 p.m. Eastern, and find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Substack, Chapter and Verse. Have a great night.